great. Thank you. If you'd turn to the book of James with me tonight, I would appreciate that. And uh, yes, I do have a praise. My wife is home. Um, and someone told me tonight, it looks like I'm smiling a little better. And I probably am. I found out that uh, uh, it's true what God says. It's not good for a man to be alone. And uh, so we'll see how it works now. We're back together, you know. It's, we'll give her a shot, I can tell you that. But uh, anyway, we're, uh, we're glad Dan's here, and we picked her up last night. So she's going to be in for a little while. Our family comes in over Memorial Day, and so at least that long, and we'll uh, get prepped for that. And uh, hopefully they'll all be here next Sunday uh, with us. We're looking forward to it. The book of James is uh, where we're going to be at tonight. And I'm actually going to be in chapter 5 if you want to turn to that. Uh, the book of James is oftentimes called the Proverbs of the New Testament. And the reason for that is because there are just a lot of very practical, maybe pithy is a good word for that, just things you can pick out quickly and just do. Now, the Proverbs is my favorite book of the Bible. I need it simple, plain, black and white, you know, I'm just a simple guy, just tell me what to do, I'll do it. Well, no, it's not necessarily true, Diane, is it? You're here tonight. But usually, uh, if you can make your case, and if a God, he doesn't have to do that. But anyway, uh, so James is that kind of book, and I, I like James a lot. Ephesians is probably my favorite New Testament book, but James is a book I really do like. And so tonight, I'd, I'd like to just look at those last two verses of the book of James, uh, chapter 5 of the book of James, and let's read those together before we pray. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death, and shall hide a multitude of sins. Let's pray. God, I just ask tonight as we take a few moments just to look at what you've written talk about it, share some thoughts with these folks who love you. Lord, I pray that you would work. Uh, we just pray that the Holy Spirit would fall fresh on us. I pray that you might uh, fill me with the Spirit and help me to say the things that need to be said and should be said. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you start at the, I'm not going to have you turn there, but if you went to the first chapter of James, the second verse starts out with, my brethren. As it ends the book, it says, brethren. Now, do you all know what brethren are? The opposite of a cistern? <laughs> yeah, uh, that's not good. Uh, but brethren are fellow Christians. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ. So we're talking family here. And so when we look at this verse, a lot of people do have some problem with this. I can't really see that it's not pretty self-explanatory, but... They're talking about the word convert. We're going to talk about that in a bit. The word sinner. And I want you to know that in all these uh, terms that we're looking at here, we're talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. All right? So let's get that down. So it's us. Okay? It's, it's the Wednesday night crowd. You, you got it? It's, it's the people who are here regularly on Sunday. It's, it's not the one who hasn't had placed his faith in Jesus Christ yet. And that's very important that we get that down because this book is written to Christians. So, 
then it obviously would follow as we look at this, as written to this passage, just a little bit we're going to look at tonight, is talking to people who have strayed from the truth. They've erred. They're in the wrong. That's important as well. The uh, word you is a good one there. If any of you do err, uh, it's kind of like a, a family term. You, you know, we've, we raised three sons and a daughter, but I mostly think about the sons when I think about this. And you'd line it up and said, one of you did this. And they would all try to look innocent. But probably they were all guilty. So that's the way I usually dealt out punishment when I wasn't sure. If, you, if somebody steps forward, let's just all stand right there and I'll take care of all of you. But God is saying here, if any of you do err, it's one of those, hey, part of the family thing, if it happens. So this is important that you get this background as we're going into this. Now, I believe also we can deduct from this that this is also written to Christians who could help this person. Would you agree with that? And so, as I read this, I think, you know what? At any given time, I can fall on either side of this fence. You follow me here? I can be the one in error. I can be the one helping somebody else. I don't know where I saw this this week, but somewhere this week or the last week or something, I saw uh, a quote from uh, Spurgeon, and I probably won't get it right, but it says, God uses people who fail. There are isn't any other kind. See, we're all capable of being that person in error, and we should all be willing to help that person that falls into error. So as we think of this tonight, as we get into this study, and it's, it's uh, hopefully it's just a blessing and an encouragement to you, uh, I think we have to ask this, how can I help another brother or sister that's fallen into sin because the Bible makes it clear it uses the word sinner doesn't it and we know they're not a non-converted sinner it's a saved sinner that we're talking about how can I be the one to help and I believe the first thing that happens here is it starts with concern you know we get concerned about a lot of things in life uh, it's usually, by the way, I usually get concerned about my things. You know, you're probably a much more spiritual person than me, but I'm concerned when my stuff has a problem. Not too long ago, I was driving my old van, and I heard a strange noise in the right rear. And that's not unusual for that van. It has noises all over, but I thought like all of us do, let's just hope this goes away. Let's drive it for a while. It'll go away. But it seemed to not go away, first of all. And then secondly, it seemed to get worse when I hit bumps. And so I start, you know, I'm not the world's best mechanic, but I'm thinking, okay, U-joint, loose muffler. Maybe there's a, ah, maybe there's a bump, a knob, on, a, a, a knot on the tire. So I stopped and looked. The tires look good. The tires are something I can deal with, you know, uh, but the tires look good. Now, I'm getting a little concerned here because this is a persistent noise whenever I hit a bump, and now you got to look a little farther, don't you? 
that means you got to get kind of under the van. And at my age, it's no problem getting under. It's just you got to have help getting out. And so, uh, so I'm, I'm getting, you know, down in there looking. And, you know, if any of you have ever done this, you don't really want to just be grabbing onto your muffler when you've been driving for a while, shaking it. You know, you always have your wife do that, and she wasn't here. Uh, uh, so so I, I didn't check the muffler, but, you know, I kind of put my foot up on it and gave it a kick. Now you can kind of visualize this old guy down there in the ground on his back kicking in that muffler. And, and uh, man, things look good. And I'm thinking, ah, I can't really check the U-joint here. And I'll drive a little farther. But I'll, now, now you're thinking, if something goes really bad, I'm stuck out here, you know. Uh, and so long and short of it was, got it to a place where we could look at it, and it was a shock. Do you all know what a shock is? Okay. But a shock, uh, the bolt at the bottom of the shock, and the shock is what your car rides up and down on. There's a bolt at the bottom, and it's got a nut screwed on it. That nut had worked its way loose, and the bolt had started to work its way loose. It wasn't all the way out yet. It was a really easy fix once you found it. But when did I start getting concerned? When I became aware of the problem, all right, uh, Diane's been gone quite a while. I'll use this illustration. When I go to the refrigerator, I get concerned sometimes. Um, there's no food in there, you know, and so, you know, I, th those are important things. So I get concerned about my stuff. Um, I get concerned when I realize that I'm late. It causes me to hurry. Is concern a bad thing? Concern's a good thing. Concern will cause me to act, hopefully, and act right and act correctly. Is worry a bad thing? Yes, I'll be, I'll confess, I'm, I, I can do my share. All right, so I'm talking about concern here tonight, and we usually get concerned about these kind of things. We get concerned about our reputation, our family, our health. We get concerned about our belongings, our time, our money, our job, would you agree? And are those things necessarily wrong? No. But Christ gave us a different example, didn't he? He said we should have a concern for others. And tonight, as we think about this, number one, concern is a good thing because it will motivate us to action. Number two, God wants us to be concerned about others as individuals. And here's a point I need to make before we can go too much farther. We must be concerned enough and care enough to confront people when they're in sin. How many of you like to be confronted? Wow, it's unanimous. <laughs> None of you. Uh, all right. Um, and there are some of you probably that can confront people easier than others. Uh, I came from a family, and Diane will attest to this, that is fairly confrontational. She thinks we argue, but it's just, you know, you just kind of lay it out there, and it is what it is. And you deal with it or get over it. But uh, most people aren't like that. Would you agree? And so a lot of us don't feel comfortable confronting but let me challenge you tonight, if you look at this passage, there's going to come a time when you need to confront somebody. Now, 
going back to my own immediate family, my children. When there was a problem at home, did I need to confront it? Absolutely. All right? Absolutely. And so usually the more I put it off, the worse things got. So oftentimes the best thing I could do is confront it. And there are several ways to confront. I know most of the bad ones. But one of the better ones, rather than accusations, yelling, screaming, uh, that type of thing, is ask a few questions and try to find out what the problem is. But you don't always go in assuming you know everything. Um, boy, yeah, with kids, but church members as well, and fa church family. All right, let's go on to a couple of the thoughts about concern here. A scriptural concern is going to have the interest of the other person at heart. It's going to have their best at heart. The best thing possible for someone is to get right with God. Would you agree with that? Or do you think it would be better to let that go and you didn't hurt their feelings or you didn't challenge them on it and just go on in a direction that you know is error? We wouldn't do that. want to do that. We wouldn't want to say we would say that was okay, would we? But we often live like, at least I know, it's easy for me to. Individuals touch other individuals. I think we can find this in many places in the Bible. I won't take a lot of time here tonight, but God's designed us to be interactive. When we have godly, scriptural interaction, it will yield godly, scriptural change. We are all going to interact. That's a fact. What kind of interaction is this church going to have? What kind of interaction is your home and family going to have? Is it going to be godly, scriptural interaction? When I was, uh, I was in my college years, and I, I lived in Michigan, but jobs were pretty scarce, and so I had a sister that worked with IBM. I think she was a secretary to the president, um, executive secretary there, and got me in with a job there with IBM. It sounded really good. They called me a customer engineer. I got to wear a suit and a tie, and I went around vacuuming out computers all around Minneapolis. Um, basic, and back in that day, the computers you know, were the size of a room. So it was a big deal. You think vacuuming out, a, you're looking at your little computer. That's not like this. It's vacuuming out a big deal here. I'm teasing a little bit. It wasn't a big deal. But anyway, the point was I was a customer engineer. But there was a, an agreement made before I went to live with my sister and my brother-in-law, uh, which I thought was no problem. They said, if you come to live with us, you can live here rent-free. We'll take care of your food. But you need to go to church with us. I thought, What's the big deal about that? I go to church just about every Sunday. No, I, I went every Sunday. But, you know, the, here's the funny thing. They were an independent, fundamental Baptist church, which as soon as I stepped in the doors, I was convinced it was a cult. All right? Uh, being kind of a free spirit at that time, um, a pseudo-hippie, so to speak, you know, I just, you know, all I had was denim, and a pastor preached on it every Sunday. <laughs> And I had hair down to my shoulders, and he uh, preached on long hair, but all the women kept theirs. And, you know, I just, you just couldn't figure out what I was into there. 
But here's, I can have fun with that. I won't go too long with that. But there's a young man in that church. His name was Jeff Holm. And uh, Jeff was, had, was married. He was in college, but he was married. And he had his own business. And he had ministries and was moving on towards the seminary and in ministry. And I couldn't figure out for the life of me why, but that guy had a radar for me. And the church was probably running six, 700 at that time. And I would come in the back and try to locate where he was sitting. And I would go as far away as I could because I knew he was going to try to get me after the service and talk to me. And so I would put myself near an exit, and I'd get a lot from the message, and I would sprint out the door, normally on my way to another ball game, uh, because that's basically what I was living for, was just the next athletic competition. I mean, it was not uncommon for several summers there for me to play 100 games of, of ball during the summer. And Sundays was, I went to church, and then I went right back to the tournament. We started on Friday night. And so Jeff would... He would slow me up because I had to get my clothes changed. I'm just teasing here. I knew what he wanted, but he wanted to talk to me about the Lord. He wanted to let me see his passion for God. He wanted to challenge me with questions about my walk with the Lord. And you know what? I appreciate to this day that man. He and I became best friends, actually went into business together. Uh, for a few years. I, I remember preaching for him down in Georgia at one of the chapels at Tennessee Temple and seeing one of his boys come to the Lord. But you know what? That man went out of his way. Busy guy. Time after time just to befriend me. Now I'd listen to him and he, uh, this is carnal, but I'll tell you why. Because he had been First team All-State in football. First team All-State in basketball. He was a state high jump champion. And I lived for sports. But you know what? He didn't talk to me about sports. He just encouraged me to live for the Lord. And I'll tell you, I still have the Bible he gave me. I preached out of it for years. Wore it out. I love that Bible, but I love that man. He made a difference because he's concerned. He saw somebody heading the wrong way. And I thought he could spend that time, you know, with all of his abilities and talents, grew up in that church. He could have been with anybody, talked to anybody. But he made a point to befriend me and encourage me. And I don't take it for granted that he was concerned about me. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes some sacrifice and commitment. Looking back, I know I was targeted. I felt I was targeted then. But you know what? I'm so glad that he cared enough to target me. I can pretty much promise you the way I was going. I wouldn't be here tonight. I wouldn't have the family I have. I wouldn't have all the blessings that God's given us 
if Jeff Holm hadn't been concerned. Now, I tell you that's for a reason. Because you don't have to have any special gift. You don't have to have a certain IQ. You don't have to have a certain social status to be concerned about somebody. Everybody in this room can be concerned. Now, if we're concerned for somebody, verse 19 says, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, if we're concerned for them, we're going to be concerned most of all that they hear the truth, isn't it? It's not just what they want to hear. I know that Jeff and I could have spent tons of time talking about old sports things, but I don't, I don't recall him ever talking much about his sports. Amazing thing. He obviously was a great athlete, and we did play some ball and things together, but I'm just saying, that wasn't what was on his mind. It wasn't just what I wanted to hear. You know, when people are in sin, it's, it's, it's not what they feel. Matter of fact, it's not even how you feel. Have you ever felt really sorry for somebody whose life is falling apart? I sure have. But you, need what they, you know what they need more than my sympathy and my agreeing with their feelings? They need God's word. They need the truth, don't they? And so we've got to get God's word to those people. By the way, right now, it doesn't take much to get your heart broken just by reading some news, does it? And seeing how people are really bashing the truth. But really, look at the miserable situations people are making of their lives by denying scriptural truth. They need the truth. And I say, but they don't want to hear it. They don't believe it's true. You know, that's really not our problem. If there's really power in this book, if there is truly Holy Spirit power like we sang about tonight, and folks, there is, God can do a work if we will share the truth. But if they don't hear the truth, what's ever going to change them? You see, people, just because they come across harsh or hard, does not mean they're right. Oftentimes we come across that way because we don't want to be challenged because we're insecure. I'd encourage each of us to be concerned enough to tell people the truth. No psychological advice is going to change a life, but this book will. And not only will it change a life, my friend, it changes an eternal destiny. We need to move on here. The word conversion is the second word I want to deal with. Not only do we need to be concerned, but we need to uh, understand his word conversion. It's in both, both verses, by the way, as you see that word. It, it actually just means to turn back or restore. Uh, you turn back from something bad to something good. We uh, moved to Wisconsin. Uh, I served on Camp George staff as kind of the, what we call now the camp evangelist. I was a field rep. I'd travel and preach for Camp Joy. And uh, I was up there for four years. Uh, when I left that staff, we uh, needed a home to live in. And for a little while, we moved into the parsonage. We were between pastors, and I kind of fixed the parsonage up so I'd have a place to live. And uh, down the road, there was a, a house. 
that we would take walks by. I remember Diane and I would walk down there, and uh, she loved the front porch, but it was an, an old farmhouse. Okay, now we're in a city, but this is right in front of a big park that used to be the farm until the city raised the taxes so high in the land that the city took over the land, and so here's this farmhouse on this lot. And uh, one day, uh, man came to me and the, the uh, brother-in-law of the owner and said would you be interested in buying that house I thought yeah yeah I would yeah I said if the price is right he said well let me let me get the owner to talk to you and he did and uh, he took me down there and uh, told me the price and I said I'll buy it and it's the only house I've ever bought we bought quite a few that without asking Diane um, but you were happy with it weren't you yeah, okay. Uh, so, so I bought a house and uh, said, you know, I, and I said, can I bring Diane down? He goes, oh, no, no, you can't bring Diane down here. He said, I, I couldn't have a godly Christian lady see the inside of that house. Well, the reason, and I had been in there, and it was just trails. His son, who was about my age at that time, a construction guy, but into drugs pretty heavily and had just messed it up on top of it, the house was built in 1860s now for those of you who can do math you know that's civil war times and um, it was an, an old farmhouse and so before we were done with that house i think foundation every floor every wall every window every roof because there were multiples um, uh, just everything had been redone I mean, I don't think there was anything. And some of it had to be done twice because just to move in after they shoveled everything out, I had to at least have a kitchen and a bathroom uh, that was usable. And so I remodeled that quickly and then went in and redid it. Now, we didn't do a true restoration. I understand what a true restoration is. Uh, we tried to make, we tried to do an update, but uh, we tried to bring it from an unusable condition to a usable condition. And this is what this word means. Convert. You need to help someone whose life is heading them towards destruction. And really, a life that has no meaning, no good, and bring it back to something usable and good. So, this restoration, we would not have any problem agreeing in this room, I don't think, is the fact that people come back to a place where they're walking with God, in obeying God. Would you be good with that? If a, a brethren heirs, you know, we're going to bring him back. We're going to convert him back. Restore that fellowship. What do we turn him back to? The answer is in verse 19, if you want to glance there. If any do err from the truth and one convert him. So he, you're turning them back to the truth. He's erred from the truth. Let's get back to truth. All right, so you say, well, when we're talking to folks, is that always a problem? You know what? When you're in sin, it's always a problem. You say you like things simple, don't you? Absolutely. It's always a problem. Now, you may not know exactly what the truth is that they need, but God does. And we know where the answers are. So let's turn people back, restore them to the truth. By the way, what is the truth? Have you ever been asked that question? I have. What did Jesus Christ say in John 14, 6? I am 
the way, the truth, not a truth, the truth, and the life. He says in John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Is there a separation between Jesus Christ, the living word, and the written word? There is not, my friends. And that has to be our faith if we're going to ever help someone and make a difference in their life. Because we need to turn them back to Christ by use of the scriptures. Who do we turn them back from? This is where it gets kind of hard when you're confronting folks. But the Bible calls it just what it, it really is. They said they err in verse 19. They said the error of his way. What is an error? If you are at work and you get a phone call from a superior that says you made an error, is that when you suddenly call your wife and say, I think I'm getting a raise? It's when you say, you know, I might be looking for a new job, um, depending on how big the error was, right? It is wrong. An error is something you have done wrong. Do we live in a society that likes to hear about the fact that they could be wrong? By the way, I don't even like to know here that I've been wrong, but you know what? I am aware of the fact, because I'm a Christian, that I will fail. And we need to help folks understand that. What's wrong? Well, there's wrong thinking. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. A lot of wrong thinking today. Is there any wrong living today? For those of us that are a little older, it seems like the wrong living and the wrong thinking has really ramped up the last few years. I think a lot of it has to do with our ability with computers and uh, the interaction uh, and social media and those kind of things, a lot of wrong thinking. If you have wrong thinking, you are going to have wrong living. There's going to be wrong attitudes. There's going to be wrong desires. Folks, in our church, we can look out like I am right now and see folks happy, dressed nicely, here on a Wednesday night and think, how could they do wrong? But you know what? I know you can because I know I can. And you know what else I know? The Bible tells us that if any of us say that we sin, we're lying. Okay? If we don't sin, we're lying. All right, you were with me. Thank you for following that when I got it wrong. So, if I don't turn somebody back to truth from error, then I've basically decided I'm going to let them go to a useless wasted lifestyle. Often, as was referred to here in verse 20, uh, and it's not the only time in the Bible this is referred to, uh, death, probably referring to premature deaths. Why would I want to do that? And I almost feel like throwing that question out for the crowd, but for the sake of time, I will just answer it, because I don't always feel comfortable confronting someone that I think may be in sin. We can change their end game. Now, it's going to take, if you're going to convert somebody, if you're going to turn them back 
to God, to fellowship with God, turn them back to the truth, it's going to require concern. It's going to require sometimes asking a question or two, isn't it? That uncomfortable question. It's going to mean sometimes that when you get the answer to the question, you're going to have to set up maybe some discipleship, a little Bible study. It's going to mean you're going to have to love. We're going to talk about that a little more here in a minute. You're going to have to pray. But I'll tell you what, it's a whole lot easier to pray, my friends, when there's a reason to than just throwing a name out there and not knowing anything. When you know that you're trying to help somebody get back with God and get back on track, you'll pray for them. You know what? I'd like to think that you'd do the same for me. It's going to mean that you're going to be a little more careful about the way you live, the way you talk, because they'll watch your life, won't they? You're going to need to be an example. You're going to have to be friends with people that maybe don't have your same interests. The result of all this will be my last point in verse 20, and it's going to be covering the Bible uses the word hide, it shall hide that he converts the sinner from the air of his way, shall save a soul from death, and shall hide or cover a multitude of sins. Proverbs 10, 12 says, love covereth all sins. First Peter 4, verse 8 says, uh, basically the, the same thing, and above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Proverbs 17, 9. He that covereth a transgression seeketh love. Now you're saying, so are we supposed to cover up these people's sins? In a sense, yes. I've always wondered, when is it my place to get involved in someone's life? Is it just when I become aware of something? Because sometimes we become aware of something of some things that are going wrong in someone's life through gossip, through the grapevine. I usually involve myself if I'm part of the problem or part of the solution, and I can see that I can be part of that solution, all right? Now, this is important because I don't have to know everything. I, I like a church where even as a deacon, I don't know every situation that pastors dealt with. You know what, I'm good with that. And when he has to deal with me, I hope you don't have to know about it either. Because I think you've got a reputation that can be hurt. I think you've got a testimony that can be bothered. I think most of you know I've got 20 years in or so of preaching and pastoring. And there are many things uh, that I have never shared with Diane about folks in our churches. Do you know why? But she's got to interact with them. She doesn't need to know that because they are trying to get right with the Lord. Now, it's different if you have to bring a person to church discipline. You will need to expose sin. But those are at the far end of this. If we do things right, you don't have to put everybody's dirty laundry out for everybody else to know about. Hopefully, you don't do that in your family. Uh, you know, you have individuals as children. And by the way, when we're talking about all this, let me just say to the young couples here, these principles hold in your home as well. This is not just for the church. When you have Christian children, treat them like Christian brothers and sisters. Give them respect. 
Your goal is not to make them look bad. Your goal is to get them right with the Lord, right? Would you agree with that? Or no? Yes, no, nod. Yeah, at least one young couple, one young person nod there. That was good. All right. Our love, as we looked at these verses about covering the sin, our love is our concern in action. And love always is an active term, and, and we get involved. Now, how do you cover this up? Because you say, I really do believe that if everybody knew about this situation or more people knew about this, they would just straighten up because of peer pressure. Is that how God works? No. You'll most likely lose that person. They'll leave the family over that. When we have that kind of an attitude, generally speaking, it's our own flesh and our own pride. It thinks maybe I'll look a little better if I can make somebody else look bad. So let's be real careful about how we deal with sin. When the Bible says to cover it, let's get the sin dealt with, get it under the blood, get people moving forward, and that's good enough. Now, I believe in accountability, and if you want to have an accountability partner, I've been in those situations to life. Diane is my accountability partner, uh, but the point being, I've been in others with other people who have asked me to be. I'm okay with that, but I don't think it's a matter for the church bulletin. I don't think it needs to be on the wall at the back of the church. I don't think it needs to be brought up from the pulpit. We call that the, the bully pulpit. Uh, let's cover sin. So you say, okay, you keep saying that. How's it covered? And we'll, we'll close out here. First is it needs to be dealt, sin needs to be dealt with scripturally, and sin needs to be confessed, 1 John 1, 9, right? And we agree with God that what I've, that person's done, what they're going through, or if it's me, what I've done, what I'm uh, repeatedly involved in, enough that the Bible would call me a sinner, not just that a, I have sinned, but I am a sinner habitually in this, uh, then I need to confess that. Now, the good news about that is that the Bible says that God will forgive us. Our sins are washed away. It's a permanent thing. I like the fact that God can do something permanent. There's a permanent forgiveness. There's justification. There's cleansing. Secondly, how is sin hidden? How is sin covered? You see, as a person, maybe they're in a carnal state. Maybe they're a new Christian. Maybe they're a backslidden Christian that should just know better. But as they start getting victory over that sin, sin is no longer dominating their life. All right? And so rather than, and by the way, when sin is dominating your life, you know it's destroying you? All right? So sin isn't dominating that person, so it becomes less obvious. You see, it's not constantly exposing itself, and you're not seeing it as much. It's just not so often, not so overt. Uh, and suddenly, sin is being covered. I like that. And maybe some of you have had a habit in life that you've not gotten rid of just instantaneously. We all like to hear the stories of the alcoholic that never took another drink or the, the man with a vile mouth that never spoke another bad word in their life. But you know what? Most of us aren't like that. Most of us are trying, and the Holy Spirit, oh, you did it again, and we're going to go back, and we're going to confess it to the Lord, and we're going to apologize to the people we wronged. But it becomes less and less as God works in our life but sin is no longer dominating us that's all 
uh, is hidden and covered. And third, and this is the one that is convicting to me, I have children and grandchildren, but sin doesn't get passed on to the next generation. You see, I do believe every one of us has a fallen nature, and I do believe that a person can observe someone else and learn a behavior. And I do believe that moms and dads and older brothers and sisters and grandpas and grandmas can cover sin just by not passing theirs on down to the next generation. You see, that sin you've been excusing or the one that you haven't been confronting is affecting someone somewhere. This illustration isn't completely accurate because it has more to do with salvation conversion, but it's one that sticks out to me because it, it, it was so uh, just touching when my mother told me about this, but my mother was a godly woman, a prayer warrior, a public school teacher. She was a witness in the public school back in the day when you could be, and she's in heaven now, but before she passed, she told me this several years prior to that, but she'd gone to a funeral for one of her students. She'd had uh, an elementary student. And while she was at that funeral, a family member realized who she was and said, oh, wow, you're the teacher. And I guess because of her testimony, this particular person had gotten saved. And they were so excited because they said, look here, you have three generations. They wanted to meet all the family. There's three generations that are saved and living for the Lord. Now, my understanding was that family is a pretty rough family. There's a lot of sin that got covered. Now, we're talking about salvation conversion, I know. But sin is just as bad if it's in a Christian, maybe worse than an unsaved situation. But you know what? The person you go to, the one you help, the one that you're concerned enough about to tell them the truth is going to have descendants. You're going to make a difference. And sometimes you may never know. If mom hadn't gone to that funeral, she would never know till heaven, would she? And I'm convinced there's countless others uh, knowing her. But I just want to say this. We can all cover sin whether it be dealing, helping someone right now, but that person you help right now will help many others. Well, we're going to pray, and that's not an invitation, but I would ask you to just take a moment before I pray, and if God's dealt in your heart, he may have pointed somebody out to you, and you said, I know they're in error, and I haven't been willing to speak up. Maybe you're looking inside your own home, and you said, man, I need to talk to that child of mine. Maybe it's a friend, a co-worker. But let me promise you, you will cover a multitude of sin if you will deal with things scripturally. Just take a moment and pray in your heart. I'll close in just a second. God, we don't always know what's going on in people's hearts, but we can always be an example. And Lord, when we are aware of situations that we can help others in, may we be concerned enough, loving enough to tell them the truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.